Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are initiating our internal filter, editing our narrative, what we consume and what we say, to find out what's real to us. Everyone wants your time and attention, loading you down with their ideas and opinions. It can feel like a tug of war, swaying your perception to the point of breaking. How do you feel about who you are, what you see, and what you're doing? What would you like to do, to feel, to become? Not sure? No wonder. How could you possibly find time and space to consider your own feelings on anything? No more. It's not your job to consume everything you hear, and it's not your responsibility to weigh in on every topic or even have a strong opinion one way or another. We are all working our way through life, trying to find balance, love, peace, and respect. To understand our purpose and to embrace our true potential, you have the power to edit. And today we start to assert that ability for our own good. Ready to dice, splice, and shear until we find what's real? How people gather knowledge has definitely changed through the centuries. My crude way of following that timeline might look like this. Early man had to experience things firsthand to learn what is good and what is bad. He has scars from running with scissors, singed phalanges from touching fire, broken bones from learning about depth perception and his own mortality, and so on. He then began passing those lessons down to the next generation. I'm sure, just like the telephone game, The message became a bit muddy, and so through the ages, we've repeated the same trials, only to come up with the same conclusions. Over time, lessons that were not experienced firsthand began to circulate mixed with personal opinion and focused agendas. If you don't watch it, your face will freeze like that. That beer will put hair on your chest. Okay, maybe that one was just my father, but you get the point. Things that we heard growing up still stick. Some might call them limited beliefs, a way of thinking that was given to you that has yet to be tested. This could be personal to you like, you're not smart enough, you're too lazy to be taken seriously. Or they could be about the world around you, influencing your view of people, places, and even feelings. At some point, it can feel like your thoughts and ideas are not even yours at all, but instead absorbed through family, friends, co-workers, media, and public opinion. Ramez Sasson gives us his thoughts. Are you the creator of your thoughts? An article from his blog, Success Consciousness. So, are you the creator of your thoughts? Do you sometimes wonder why thoughts arise in your mind? Everyone has certain beliefs, but why these beliefs and not others? Are the thoughts you think your own thoughts, other people's thoughts and ideas, or thoughts that you have unconsciously picked up from your environment? Most people believe that the thoughts they think originate from them 
and are part of them. They believe they are the creators of their thoughts. It might come as a surprise, but most thoughts are not your own thoughts. Much of your thinking is the product of your upbringing, education, and environment. Suppose you grew up somewhere else and had different education. Your thoughts and beliefs would most probably be different. The TV, the radio, the newspapers, the internet, and the social media also shape our thoughts and beliefs to a great extent. People protect their thoughts, points of views, and beliefs fiercely and fight for them. But quite often, these are actually not even their own thoughts. They could equally pick up others' completely different thoughts. The environment, our family and friends, our upbringing and education, and the outside world shaped and programmed our mind and thoughts. And yet, we believe that our thoughts and beliefs are our own and produced by us. Every person has certain beliefs and acts in accordance to them. Have you ever analyzed these beliefs and examined why you even have them? Did you sit down to decide what beliefs to accept and then said to yourself that you're going to support, believe, and act in accordance with them? Well, it doesn't work this way. Most thoughts and beliefs are accepted on a subconscious level without thinking about them or analyzing them. It's an automatic, unconscious process with no conscious choice. This is often the reason for becoming the fan of a certain sports team or the fan of a certain singer. And this is the reason for following a certain political party. This is why advertising or emotional speeches work. They affect the subconscious mind without the intervention of the conscious mind. If this is so, where's your freedom? Where is the freedom to choose? Are you really free? To be really free, you have to stop and think and consider whether you need this or that thought and whether your beliefs have a solid ground. You can learn to choose, accept, or reject thoughts and stop accepting them automatically. You can change the programming of your mind. You have to learn to stop and think before accepting each thought and belief. There is no reason to act like a robot. How can you be free? How can you free yourself from your thoughts and beliefs? What would happen to you if you get free? You can learn to master your thoughts, accept the ones you approve, and reject others. You can think in a more independent way without allowing what you read, hear, and see affect your judgment. You can learn not to let other people's thoughts and beliefs affect your thinking. However, this requires some inner work on your part. This inner work will bring more calmness, happiness, common sense, and wisdom into your life. True freedom starts when you can rise above your thoughts and when you develop the ability to choose or reject thoughts at will. This happens when you become more aware and conscious of the thoughts that pass through your mind and when you develop a certain degree of focusing your mind. So how can you do that? You can do so by starting to pay closer attention to your thoughts and ask yourself whether they're helpful or not and whether you need them or not. 
You can do so by practicing concentration exercises and meditation, really clearing your mind. You can also do this by adopting an attitude of detachment towards your thoughts. By striving not to take personally what other people say. Try to think with common sense and without bias. Do not take anything for granted and accept what you hear, see, and read without some independent thinking. This is not something to be won overnight and is not everyone's cup of tea. There must be the desire, motivation, and the understanding of the importance and benefits of becoming free from the enslavement of mind and thoughts. You can become an original thinker. When you allow yourself mental freedom, you become more creative. When you feel free from unwanted, undesirable thoughts, you start mastering your mind and your life. But it's so hard. You hear something and it lands hard. You repeat it over and over to people in your family and those you meet. And now it's taken root. If it makes sense to you, it becomes part of your narrative whether it's true or not. Marketing is a science for a reason. It isn't just about cute, thought-provoking pictures and clever messages. There is a science that takes into consideration how you learn, what will resonate with you, and what will make you take action, call to action. Every marketer knows the pieces fall flat without a clear call to action. What's next? If it's just information that doesn't invoke a response, well, then it's worthless. Most of the time, we're unaware of the effect of marketing has on us, and other times, We're mildly aware. Man, that burger looks good. Ugh, I am so hungry. How many times has a desire popped into your head just by looking at a piece of marketing? All of a sudden, a thought that wasn't yours is now yours, and you have a drive to make it happen. Let's dig into this idea with 14 psychological marketing tips for customer mind control. This is an article by Cindy Hatch. It was originally written for marketers, but I think it's interesting. And we need to be aware of how things are positioned to make us think a certain way. For centuries, people have been obsessed with the idea of mind control. From psychological arts, movies, and literature throughout time, people love the idea of being able to control other people. The thing is, it's not all that far-fetched. Mind control is not about magic, old ancient secrets, or superhero control like Professor X. Mind control is made a reality through a tangible practice called marketing and psychology. The core of successful marketing is understanding how and why people think and act the way they do. Unfortunately, human behavior isn't always consistent or rational due to people having their own quirks. But lucky for you, psychology is on your side. So here are 14 psychologically based marketing tips that retailers use to improve their campaigns to reach their targets more effectively. Targets? That's you and me. Number one, people mirrors. If one thing is true in this digital age, it's that emotions run wild on social media. 
If you're on Facebook, it's easy to see that people publicly share emotional responses, even at times fly off the handle for something they read or saw. In essence, we've opened up Pandora's box filled with emotions. Crazily enough, our feeds are full of mirrored feelings, according to psychology. The proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that people mirror the positive or negative emotions that their friends express in their posts, all without the aid of nonverbal cues. Creepy, right? In fact, Facebook engineers tweaked what 600,000 users saw in their news feeds, so they saw more posts that expressed positive emotions, while others saw more posts that conveyed negative feelings. The result? People actually responded to the emotions they saw. Those who saw more positive posts responded more positively, while those who saw more negative posts responded with negative feelings of their own. The researchers called this effect an emotional contagion because they claimed to show that our friends' words on our Facebook news feeds directly affected our own mood. So, if you get one person to respond a certain way, you're most likely will get all their friends to feel the same way. Hmm. Number two, the jingle jam. Have you ever gone through your day with a song stuck in your head? Have you ever heard or watched a commercial you can still remember the jingle to? If so, you have a marketing tip you can use for customers or they're using on you. Commercial ads are great at creating jingles and sound content to get you to remember the brand. Take, for instance, J.G. Wentworth 877 Cash Now. Come on, you know that. Call J.G. Wentworth 877 Cash Now. (laughs) Their ad featured an opera singer, obviously not me, that sang a very compelling jingle that will forever make you want to get cash now. Breaking this psychology down, we can go back to the famous experiment with Pavlov's dogs, highlighting the phenomenal of classic conditioning. Pavlov rang a bell, served his dog with meat, measured the amount of salivation, and repeated this. After several trials, he found that even if he rang the bell and didn't serve his dog with meat, his dog would still salivate. His dog had created a learned association between the bell ringing and being served meat. Hmm. Number three, the psychology of color. Color psychology, the study of hues as a detriment of human behavior, right? The psychology of color as it relates to persuasion is one of the most interesting and most controversial aspects of marketing. Some people claim it matters, and some people really question its power over people. But since color is an essential part of how we experience the world, we say it matters, especially when it comes to conversion optimization. Yeah, that means how many people actually clicked when they wanted you to. Mm -hmm. Color plays a huge part in our subconscious decision-making, and a lot of people and brands claim color generalities. Okay, so let's go through those. Yellow is for internet window shoppers. Red creates an emotion of urgency. Blue prompts trust. Orange works best for call to action. 
Pink is for the ladies. Black is seen as expensive or for luxury. Purple calms people down. Red, orange, black, and light blue are for the impulse buyer. Dark blue and teal are for the sensible shoppers. Pink, rose, and very light blue are for the normal buyers and guys and gals in between impulse and budget. Males like bright and ecstatic tints. Women like soft and soothing shades. Who knew? Number four, the FOMO feeling. No matter how much control you think you have, most people make impulse purchases. How many times have you been compelled to buy something just because they didn't have very many left? No one wants to miss out on anything. According to psychological research, the reptilian brain expresses itself in people's obsessive compulsive tendencies, the flight or fight response, and the actions people take in response to urgencies. These are precisely the factors that inspire impulse purchases. It's also a simple perception of scarcity. So businesses capitalize on the impulse buy phenomenon by asking customers to buy now, try it now, show now, view now, get it now, subscribe today. Businesses make good use of them by offering limited edition items, limited numbers of orders, and they set deadlines. Hmm, It's all becoming clear, isn't it? How about number five, the subtle design? Sometimes people don't love heavy branding. It's a turnoff because in this day and age, people really don't want to be sold, or do they? That is why subtle and subliminal messaging can be a strong way to connect your brand to the customer's brains. A fantastic example is FedEx. The FedEx logo, as it appears, is simple and straightforward. However, if you look at the white space between the E and the X, you can see a right-facing arrow. This hidden arrow was intended to be a subliminal symbol for speed and precision. Number six, the sale mindset. Everybody loves a good sale. But do you ever wonder why it's hard to resist them, especially at your favorite store? In psychology, there's a theory called anchoring, which states that people base decisions on the first piece of information they receive. An amazing example of this is Bath and Body Works, who has this theory down to a science. Typically, their three-wick candles go for $25, but every once in a blue moon, they drop those beloved candles down to $12.95. People are ecstatic because they got a crazy good deal. Compare that to someone who just got jeans for $10 without a baseline price to compare it to. Not as fulfilling. Number seven, the consistency comfort. We are creatures of habit, so consistency is something we all respond to. In fact, a Princeton study asked people if they would volunteer to help with the American Cancer Society. Of those who received a cold call, 4% agreed. 
A second group was called a few days prior and asked if they would hypothetically volunteer for the American Cancer Society. When the actual request came later, 31% agreed. A consistent brand matters because a consistent brand looks more professional than one that's all over the place with their marketing. When you stay consistent, people see you created something, not just something you created for marketing or promotional purposes. Customers and clients are more likely to trust a business that represents a professional, authentic, and clear brand image. Number eight, the need of images. Did you know that people remember 80% of what they see and just 20% of what they read? Look at these stats. 38% of people will leave a website if they find the layout unattractive or difficult to navigate. Given 15 minutes to consume content, two-thirds of people would rather read something beautifully designed than something plain. Google says 53% of mobile users abandon sites that take over three seconds to load. Number nine, the serial exposure. Mere exposure theory states that the more people see something, the more they will like it. Exposure is everything. Apparently, the simple act of repeated exposure automatically triggers a positive association in our brains. This is by changingminds.org. They report the more exposure we have to a stimulus, the more we tend to like it. Things grow on us, and we acquire taste for things over time and repeated exposure. Man, if that weren't true, top 40 would have no place on the charts, right? Number 10, the power of choice. A lot of the time, potential customers are like three-year-olds. They want independence. By transferring the power to the customer and putting their personal choices first, brands are opening the door to a more democratic relationship that will prove to be long-lasting. An important key to keep is that when it comes to what you present, too many options might be a bad thing. According to a study at Stanford, there's a point when choices actually start to demotivate. Customers might want to see all of the options available, but that's ultimately going to prevent them from making a decision. Restaurants recognize that offering too many choices makes it hard for diners to make a choice. This results in diner confusion. It also increases table turnover time as diners spend extra time looking through large menus. With shorter menus, it's easier for a customer to remember why they visit a particular restaurant. And yes, all of this is being thought through. You can bet there is an intentional reason behind everything. We're up to number 11, the emotional message. In today's digital age, emotion usually trumps intellect. One of the most valuable rules for consumer behavior in psychology is that people respond better to emotional appeals than intellectual ones. Antonio Diamasio, professor of neuroscience at the University of Southern California, asserts that emotion is an integral element of the decision-making process. Emotion is a necessary ingredient to almost all decisions. When we're confronted with a decision, 
Emotions from previous related experiences affix values to the options we're considering. These emotions create preferences which lead to our decision. So feelings are not just hunches. It's how people process information. In fact, Roger Dooley's article, Emotional Ads Work Better, reveals that emotional ad campaigns perform nearly twice as well as ads with rational focus. Number 12, the created community. People want to make a difference in the world, and many want to be part of a cause or community. Whether that's religion, social change motion, politics, or family, we all want to belong. A study on using social norms to motivate environmental conservation in hotels tried to determine what kind of message would get hotel guests to reuse their towels. They used three variations like this. Help save the environment. Or what about this one? 75% of hotel guests in this hotel reuse their towels. What about this one? 75% of hotel guests in this room reuse their towels. The messages that talked about participating and mentioned other guests' actions increased reuse of towels by 10 to 15%. Another example of this is Ari's Real Campaign, which is hashtag Ari Real Campaign. It encourages women of all sizes to feel comfortable in their own skin. It is the major drive for revenue. The movement positively impacts society while simultaneously marketing the brand. This phenomenon where people tend to view others who are similar to them more favorably is called in-group favoritism or social herding. All in all, the best way to motivate your customers to do something is to say that customers do the same thing. Number 13, the give and get. Have you ever been caught off guard by a surprise gift at Christmas when you haven't gotten the person a gift in return? This discomfort is a psychological principle of reciprocity. Reciprocity is the idea that we want to do nice things in return when people do nice things for us. In 1974, a sociologist from Brigham Young University, Philip Kuntz, sent roughly 600 Christmas cards to folks he had never met. To his surprise and delight, roughly 200 strangers wrote back. What does this tell us? We as a people feel obligated to give back to others when they first give to us. Number 14, the power of three. If you notice, things are always best in odd numbers when it comes to design, stories, or really whatever. You'll often see this visual trick in pricing models. One price point is intentionally included to entice you to choose the most expensive option. In Dan Airely's famous TED Talk, Are We in Control of Our Own Decisions?, he describes an ad from The Economist outlining their latest subscription packages, and here's what they offered. You could get an online subscription for $59. You could get a print subscription for $125. You could get an online and print subscription for $125. Hmm. He decided to run his own study with 100 MIT students. He gave them the pricing packages that we just outlined and asked them which one they wanted to buy. When all three options were there, students chose the combo subscription. Why? Because it was the best deal, right? 
But when he removed the useless option, the print subscription for 125, the students preferred the cheapest option. Hmm, see how that goes? Turns out that the middle option wasn't that useless after all. It gave students a frame of reference for how good the combo deal was and enticed them to pay more for that deal. These ideas are both fascinating and terrifying. So much more goes into the information we receive than just someone burning themselves on newly discovered fire and telling their tribe of their experience. It's important that we are aware of what is happening so we can be more in control of the information we consume. I came across a book in 2003 called Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug. It offers valuable principles and guidelines on how to design great usable websites. I had just started selling web development software to school districts, so the book was relevant. Why do people click certain buttons? What is a logical flow? How to create an easier user interface? All good things to know. But almost 20 years later, I'm bothered by the title, Don't Make Me Think. The idea that the user interface has to be so easy and straightforward that a person shouldn't have to use any reasoning or problem-solving skills to accomplish a task. We just automatically comply. Let that sink in a bit. 20 years of conditioning. How many times a day do you have a thought and then you spend time wondering about the answer? Reasoning based on piecing together information you've gathered. Problem solving and investigating using your mind. You don't. You pick up a device and you Google it. It's like throwing the ball and having the dog bring it back. Google, fetch, and an answer is served up. I guess I should mention that first and foremost, Google is a search engine whose sole responsibility is to gather results and then prioritize them based on criteria of relevancy and, yes, popularity. But Google is also one of the largest vendors of consumer products, so to be completely unbiased is unrealistic. Even though we usually go with the top answer, and guess what? They know that. Allie Vlopi helps us with some strategy and how to stay sane when the world seems crazy, an article she wrote for the New York Times. Our constant, relentless exposure to news and headlines has a way of inspiring near-constant dread. As distressing news continually filters to the top of our feeds, phones, and TVs, it isn't uncommon to feel more than a little nervous about the state of the world. And often, many people are. Over 50% of Americans want to stay informed on current events, but say following the news is a source of stress. According to the American Psychological Association 2019 Stress in America Survey. More broadly, Americans are among the world's most stressed people, with 55% of adults saying they experience stress during a lot of the day. It's easy to turn on the news and believe the world is ending. 
When a large-scale news event, say a pandemic, affects many groups, people want to discuss it more wildly and frequently, says Dr. Kathleen Smith. She's a therapist and author of Everything Isn't Terrible. Conquer your insecurities, interrupt your anxiety, and finally, calm down. Sounds like a good book. This constant conversation can lead to a snowball of negative thoughts. Catastrophizing or a pattern of thinking that jumps to the worst case scenario is an evolutionary response to threat. Humans are able to imagine the worst case scenario, which is a trait most other animals don't have. The ability to do that and plan ahead has helped us survive. It has gotten in the way because we have a lot of reality-based problems today that need solving. So why do we catastrophize? We try to regulate our emotions when life feels out of control, Dr. Rose Marin said. By anticipating ultimate doom and gloom as a means of taking control in uncertain times is not particularly effective. Jumping to worst-case scenarios breeds poor decision-making. People tend to adopt a who-cares attitude, which can contribute to hopelessness and despair. Sometimes, the catastrophic thoughts can become self-fulfilling prophecies. For example, a widespread panic about a toilet paper shortage indeed resulted in a mass of shoppers rushing to buy toilet paper, thus creating a shortage. We think we need to fix a problem, whether it's based in reality or not. We can accept uncertainty. Although recent history may paint a tumultuous picture, we live in relatively safe times. Less than a century ago, real, consistent threats of war were a reality in ways to which we're now unaccustomed. Because of that general feeling of security, we're not used to dealing with uncertainty. To better accept the unknown, we have to relinquish control and maintain trust that the powers that be are working to solve large-scale issues. Stick to the facts. Anxiety makes us feel powerless, said Dr. Stephen Stonesy, a therapist who coined the term headline stress disorder or the feeling of stress born from the news. A sense of powerlessness then breeds fear that we won't be able to handle the consequences of a terrible event, whether unemployment or sickness. However, we tend to exaggerate the severity of the threat and underestimate our ability to cope. We cope better than we think we will, and that's survival. Instead of feeling powerless, evaluate what you know to be true in the moment and don't exaggerate to help ground you. Think, I have my health, I have my family, I can still make delicious meals. (laughs) Take stock of your reality by asking yourself straightforward questions like, what are my responsibilities to myself, my family, and the larger community? And what reality-based problems do I need to solve today? That's being very responsible because you're responding to reality and not the nightmare, which is so easy to. If you jump to the worst case scenario, it doesn't equip you to help yourself in any way. You freeze up because it becomes unmanageable. Avoid all or nothing thinking. When news and facts are constantly changing, it can be easy to jump to conclusion and fill in the blanks. However, We shouldn't rush to process current events with black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. 
isn't a healthy way to cope and is common among those with depression. This is from research found in 2018. To avoid this thought pattern, give the circumstance nuance. Just because a handful of events were canceled, for example, doesn't mean the world is tumbling into isolation. It means our leaders care about our safety and are taking precautions. Dr. Smith suggests writing down such nervous thoughts or giving anxiety a name. Sometimes adding a bit of humor can help. I always like to say, am I dying? I know that sounds weird, but if I have anxiety over something, I just want to get a handle of how big it is because I can tend to make it huge. So am I dying? Like, is this going to kill me right this very second? No? Okay. How about my family? Are they in any immediate danger of being hurt? No. Okay. Once I know that to be true, I can set those things aside. That gives me space and time to really think about what's going on and make an educated decision. So many times with anxiety, we just react so quickly and in the heat of the moment. And the heat of the moment is not always the best type of reaction. Take care of yourself. Research has shown anxiety impacts our decision-making skills, and in frenzied times, you want to make the most informed decisions for yourself and your family. Keep yourself in tip-top shape with elements of self-care. Studies have shown that exercise, deep sleep, and social interactions, even if it's just a phone call or a video chat, diminishes stress and anxiety. You may also want to step back from social media or find ways to make the experience less nerve-wracking. Perhaps most importantly, cut yourself some slack. Don't beat yourself up for worrying. That's only going to make you worry more. Even if group gatherings aren't feasible, take part in one-on-one video hangouts, FaceTime calls, and text threads. Just because you're socially segregated doesn't mean you need to be socially isolated. Get involved. Donate or volunteer with an organization you feel is making positive contributions, whether that's locally, nationally, or internationally. Not only does volunteer work lower the risk of depression and gives participants a sense of purpose, it also may reduce stress levels. And reaching out. Forming real relationships and conversations is a great way to live in the moment. Bounce ideas off another person and share, learn, and grow. If you want to share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to get this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, don't sit idle letting unfiltered information, ideas, and opinions consume you. Edit thoughtfully, searching out the facts and allowing what is real to take root. Your thoughts and what you express matters. Reach out and talk it out. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. 
someone's room until the past was clear. 